The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the last episode of Brand Strategy Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we've been talking about everything that you need to know to make sure that your brand resonates with your team and your customers. Each day this week, we've been publishing episodes that talk through everything that you need to know about defining your brand, creating your strategy, and making sure that your brand resonates. Joining me this week has been one of the most influential brand marketers I've run across in my career. Alex Chrisman is the founder of Alta, which is a brand and creative strategy consultancy. And so far this week, Alex and I have talked about how to define your brand, setting a brand strategy, turning your brand into effective creative. And yesterday we talked about how to take the brand that you've created and make sure that it drives resonance in the wild. Today, we're going to change it up a little, and we're going to ask Alex to do a diagnostic of a brand that he knows and loves. All right, here's the end of Brand Strategy Week with my friend, Alex Chrisman. Alex, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Ben. Excited. We've got a surprise for you. We were going to do an episode talking about evaluating your brand and your brand's performance, and we kind of covered that topic yesterday. So instead, I just want to hear you riff on a brand that you know well, because I think that you're an incredible brand marketer. And I think that the way that you think about how brands are structured and what makes them unique is really useful for marketers to hear. So I'm going to give you a softball. Alex, I want you to tell me about what makes Patagonia an interesting and unique brand. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, this is near and dear to my heart. I actually just worked with them recently with the EMEA team in Europe on provisions and their food business. I think if anybody's been listening to these four episodes that we published, they know that you are, for lack of a better term, a Patagonia fanboy. Absolutely. Yeah. Massive fan. Yvonne Chouinard, the founder, I think did an incredible job building this company. And I think there's a really good lesson actually in this company. You can build a brand without trying to build a brand. It's an incredibly authentic company that was built on actual values. It was putting purpose beyond profit from day one. And I think that if you have a public facing company, you're going to get a brand no matter what you do. It's a precipitate of action. You make choices. Those choices are going to resonate with people in a certain way. It's going to build momentum and it's going to have a cumulative effect over time. And Patagonia from day one made choices that were aligned ethically with an internal code of conduct, wanting to reinvent the way that business was done. Yvonne Chouinard called himself a reluctant business person. 
he was somebody who came to business through not wanting to build a business. He wanted to make products. So let's follow the same strategy that we use for putting together our content for this week, which is talking about defining the brand, setting the strategy, making the creative, and actually doing the marketing. Give me less than five minutes about how Patagonia defined their brand. Okay. So Patagonia... I don't know that they have a super tight brand manual. They have an incredible culture. And I think this is the success of a really great brand is that it's decentralized throughout the organization. They defined it from the top down initially because it started as a one-man company. And Yvonne wanted to make the best possible products and he wanted to do it with the least possible environmental impact. And that's been a moving goal over, I think, the last couple of decades where they've been able to, as the company expanded in both their total footprint and the types of products they make and the types of technology they have access to, they've been able to reduce the impact further on a wider range of products than they did in the initial days. But you can see the same kind of wild choices made all the way back to the very first Cinchilla synthetic fleeces they made all the way through to right now, like making Ulex rubber to get away from neoprene and wetsuits and go towards a natural material. And I think all of that's derived from a pretty singular place. It's really just saying, look, the system is really broken. Companies don't care about people. Companies don't care about the environment. They came out of this post-war Milton Friedman, 1950s, returns to shareholders at all costs. And Yvonne looked at that and said, that's not the company I want to build. So through consistency, consistency of choices beyond just what would make a profit, what would be sort of resonant with our customers, they said, basically, fuck that stuff. We're going to make the choices that builds the company that we want at the end of the day. And that's where all this came from. So there was a central thesis to building the organization, which is building products that are functional, but also have a net neutral or positive impact on the environment. When you're defining your brand characteristics with a central theme like that, how do you turn that general mission, purpose, value into a brand strategy? In their case, it's incredibly reductive. They just changed their mission statement to we're in the business of saving our home planet, which is even more reduced than the old one, which I believe it was like, make the best product, cause the least amount of harm, something along those lines and blanking. But it's something that, again, it was demonstrated daily. And I think that's really the way that you drive a change across the entire organization. If you really want all of your departments to embrace the central thesis of the company in product, in marketing, messaging, in every important facet, you can only do that by leadership being demonstrative of those values and all of their choices and committing to them to the point of personal sacrifice. Like saying, if it's a public company, we're going to possibly piss off our investors. If it's a private company, we're possibly going to take money out of our pockets making some of these choices. But seeing that follow through and seeing what types of decisions are important drives a company culture and drives a really sticky brand, right? The people who work in the company are as emphatic as the customers. What I'm hearing is that there was a clear mission, purpose, value And the brand strategy wasn't something that was defined and articulated in the way that, you know, you or I as a brand consultant might do, but they had a strong sense of leadership and they hired for the values that they were trying to build into the organization, which allowed for that intrinsic brand value to trickle down. Now, let's talk about how that brand is actually converted into creative. I think Patagonia has a very distinct logo. I see Patagonia, I think of the mountains. And I think of wealthy venture capitalists wearing fleeces that are kind of the VC uniform. 
Talk to me about creating not only the products, but also how did they take their brand vision, do no harm to the environment, as I'm paraphrasing, and turn that into effective creative? It's actually interesting that you mentioned the VC fleeces because during the time that I was there, Rose decided that they were no longer going to have any kind of corporate relationships with VCs, banks, or other institutions that didn't support their values. Great. So they can't put their own logo on them. They'll still buy them. They won't sell it to them, put their logo on it though, right? <laughs> I mean, it's the kind of choice that you're looking for is like, put your money where your mouth is. That's literally, again, that's telling customers no. We talked about, you know, in one of the earlier episodes about the most important thing to do as a brand is to say no to things that you might otherwise want to do, but don't befit the brand. So that's, you know, an example of, again, taking money out of your mouth and figuring out how to stand by your values and get it elsewhere. Which is a great business strategy if your company's name is Patagonia, and maybe not something that's advisable to everyone else in the world. It just seems like a, well, they can get away with it, but not everyone can. No, I disagree. So I think the age that we live in right now, the internet is really, really good at connecting people who are interested in like a very specific thing with a person who's interested in that specific thing. The days of television advertising are over. We're not necessarily just sort of blanket messaging to the entire 360 million people in the US and hoping that the right 10,000 or however many we need for our tiny startup or whatever our particular audience we're serving is, is going to see it. We can be highly targeted, right? So I think now more than ever is a time for companies to really stick to their guns, be very niche, know who they are and know who their customer is and not try to make everybody happy. If nobody hates you, nobody loves you either. That sort of road to vanilla, I think, is where a lot of people lose themselves trying to create an identity for themselves. So should I be rooting for people to hate the MarTech podcast? Some people. So again, this is where you get into the strategy part of it. What's your goal as a company? If you're trying to drive a super emphatic group of people who are going to champion your brand, either because they're key opinion leaders who are going to convince other people to buy or because there's a sort of tribalism that you want people to really engage highly around your environmental practices for whatever the reason is, then you want to have strong opinions. You want to tell people no. You want to like put yourself in a corner and say, this is for X type of person, come find us. And then you'll get these, you know, the strongest driver to long-term revenue growth is retention. That's in the sensitivity analysis, like 5X or 10X, everything else. So if you have a strong brand and you can drive that retention at the same time as continuing to add to that pool of customers, I think that you're doing yourself a much bigger service than just trying to hit the largest number of eyeballs. I'd still like to hit a large number of ear holes, but nevertheless, <laughs> a special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. 
Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Tell me a little bit more about Patagonia's logo. How did they figure out how to put the mountains behind the word Patagonia and make it feel authentic? We're talking about making the creative. How did they do what they do? So actually, the logo, it's a really poor information carrier. Like most identity carries very little information. The thing that it does for you is a string tied around your finger that reminds you of something. And so having that logo show up consistently in the right places around the right things is the goal. And this is why when Nike suddenly started having the swoosh show up over pictures of child poverty in Vietnam during the child labor scandal, suddenly they had to really act fast to figure out, we need to steer into this, address it not try to bury this thing because it's already out there. It's already happened. The association stands like, what is this, 30 years later? The goal with creative, with really great creative, translating all of those assets into something that's going to really drive brand is about creating the right context for them. And Patagonia is a good example. They have a very lightweight identity system. They have a couple of key colors. They have a design that's shifted radically over the lifespan of the brand. I mean, the same name, same identity in the minds of the customer, but the design system has changed 100% three or four times throughout that. So when I'm looking at how do you translate brand into creative, I'm thinking about the great media they're producing, right? Like right now, video. I mean, beautiful video about everything from like the provenance of their products to their championing of sport and environmental causes and having the identity show up throughout that consistent tone of voice in this very sort of candid, direct, forthright sort of tone of voice that's both campusing the big issues and driving down to specifics about the company. And again, is there a secret formula for that that gets every company access to it? Again, I hate to dodge, but it's so specific to who the company is. And Patagonia, I think it came from their athletes. I'm looking at the Patagonia logo here, and it's pretty clear to me how they came up with this logo. They are about environmentalism as much as they are about the product, and the visual cues on the logo are a beautiful sunset, something that should be preserved. And the color palette is purple, blue, and red or orange. I'm not exactly sure what color it is, but that's very clear that it is a time of day that is to be observed with the mountain range in front of it, and then the logo Patagonia That clearly stands for the appreciation of the environment that we're in. And that's also in line with the products that they sell being outdoor products. Like, I don't think that that part is rocket science. No, it's true. And there's stuff in there that maybe is less apparent that I think is also interesting. We talked about attaching significance to all of these creative choices. And you mentioned color. It's a really great example with Patagonia that they've tried to avoid design obsolescence out of their products. So you look at that color palette and it's not a 2020 trending color palette. When you look at their products, it's the same thing. It doesn't track with the fashion world. They've kind of made a break with all that stuff instead by intentionally divorcing ourselves from the fad that's happening right now. It's not going to look out of style with everything else in six months. 
So I'm just curious, what is the fad that is happening right now in the color system for fashion? I'm the wrong guy to ask, but <laughs> okay. you see waves of it come through. When I was working in industrial design in like early aughts, it was this neon green. This one neon green color showed up in everything. So if you've chosen that one neon green thing to be on trend at the moment, then a year later, when it's starting to look kind of like everyone's been doing this for a while, and there's a new thing, you suddenly look out of date. And if you've made a product with that green on it, nobody wants it anymore, which contributes to waste. Mm -hmm. So... When you think of it, you have sort of a 1970s font, right? That like has kind of a great sort of like schoolhouse lettering sort of bubbly look to it. They've used the same mountain range logo that they've evolved over their 30, 40 years to look exactly the way that it does now, but it's tracked fairly consistently. The colors too, again, trying to avoid design obsolescence. They're not trying to update them or keep them current. They've really sort of stuck to a palette that's fairly neutral, fairly timeless. And in doing so, they've also sort of broken with the fashion industry and created their own particular aesthetic, right? Where like Patagonia stuff shows up in wacky colors. That's like the way that they show up, that becomes the product expectation. That becomes the expectation reality where the two things meet for the customer. You get a Patagonia product. That's exactly what you would expect from Patagonia. Just like the way that when you walk into an Apple store, it should always look and feel like an Apple store, which is like white and glass and friendly people in t-shirts. The last question I have for you, how does Patagonia take the creative they produced and apply it in marketing strategies? The place that I'd steer back to is that they show up in the right places doing the right things. Every place that you see a Patagonia product, there's a mention of a cause. And a lot of the money and attention gets funneled back to causes that have nothing to do with product. So you get like very tangential connections with, for instance, a running line and the preservation of forests in Tasmania. Is it a huge running destination? No. But is it an opportunity to tie the thing that you care most deeply about with the ethos that's behind your product, that's baked into your product? Absolutely. And the two self-reinforce. So I think with your marketing, you want to constantly be underscoring those connections and you want to be creating assets that help to link those things together. But I think at the same time, you're really looking for opportunities to show up doing things as opposed to saying things. If you're able to show up with marketing that reinforces an activism effort where you're going to advertise your essentially your surfing line in Australia, like they did with the drilling in the bite campaign, they were talking about surfing where they have a surf line in Australia. They're showing up at Equinor's offices in Norway to protest and essentially claim the, the podium with an Australian speaker talking about why they should not open up the bite for drilling because it's going to be a disaster for Australia's southern coast. And again, are they product? Are they revenue driving specifically? Are they channeling people towards specific product? Absolutely not. But they are super strong contributors to the brand, walking the walk, talking the talk, doing the thing. Absolutely. I, I have a memory and then an observation. When you and I were working together at the startup that I mentioned, uh, was part of the team that hired you to help develop the handle brand. One of my favorite memories is one of the designers pushing back on some of the design choices that you had, and he cited the Patagonia brand as an example of something that disagreed with what you were saying, and you went off on about a 30-minute monologue about <laughs> the ethos of the Patagonia brand and how it actually is the exact opposite of what he was saying. It turns out that guy was an asshole and had no idea what he was talking about. And second, I knew I could get you talking if I mentioned the Patagonia brand. 
I've said it before, Alex, I think you're a great brand marketer and hearing how you think about brands and brand development, even without a specific technology angle, is useful for the marketers that are hearing the show. And there's a lot that my audience can get out of listening to your approach towards brands. So thanks for coming on the show, talking to us about your strategy for building a brand and telling us about how you evaluate how brands are developed. My pleasure. It was really fun. All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Alex Chrisman, founder of Alta. If you'd like to get in touch with Alex, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can visit his company's website, which is alta.co, A-L-T-A dot C-O. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J. S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.